we are this year in what we call, what I call the year of love, where we're really focusing in on three things, loving God, loving others, and then loving our community. In this first third of the year, we're taking a look at loving God through the most fundamental, basic way that you and I can, and that is through conversing with him, uh, through prayer. And we're using uh, the text, the Lord's Prayer, um, which Nicholas just shared us uh, with us this morning what we're going to take a look at in the way of forgiveness. But uh, we're taking a look at that. And, and, as, and what we're doing is we're trying to go deeper personally with God. And we're trying to go wider with others, praying with other people. And we're trying to grow closer to our community by praying for our community to help us to be culturally relevant. A number of years ago, and today we're going to take a look at this kind of fourth phrase, forgive us our sins. A number of years ago, I, um, for my wife's anniversary, and I can't remember which one it was, but it's a number of years ago, I went out, because this is the kind of guy I am, is I went out and I bought her a new vacuum cleaner. Okay? I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, I'm personal and I'm practical, right? I teach that way. And I thought, okay, I mean, she needs a new vacuum cleaner, so I'm going to go out and get her the top-of-the-line vacuum cleaner. And at that point in time, it was an auric. I mean, it had the suction that could keep, you remember, the, the, the bowling ball right there. And I thought, that's what I'm going to get her. And as soon as we got it, she put me to work. <laughs> go figure, okay? But I thought, that's okay. This is the greatest vacuum cleaner in the whole wide world. And I'm vacuuming along, and then all of a sudden, it stops. I go, what in the world's going on? I mean, I just paid, I don't know, five, $600 for this thing. It's supposed to be the best. Why, why has this thing stopped? Well, as I got digging into it, I discovered that there was a paper clip that got stuck in the bristles. And so it stopped. And I started to think, you know what? Our life is like a vacuum cleaner. Sometimes we suck. I've been waiting a whole week to share that, okay? No, no, but in reality, we do, don't we? Sometimes we suck up paper clips. Sometimes we suck up dirt. And it gets inside, and what, inside of us, and what it does is it stops us. Though we might look good on the outside, on the inside, there's something that's hindering us from making progress. As we take a look at this fourth phrase of the Lord's Prayer, I want to ask you this question. What is hindering you, honestly, what is hindering you from loving God, loving others, and loving the community that God has placed you in? What is slowing you down? What have you sucked up into your life like a paper clip? that's causing you to stop. A lot of times we like to think that it's the externals that are causing that, but if the truth I think we're really known, it's never the externals, is it? It's the internal things. And what may surprise you about what's on the inside that's holding you back, that's hindering you from making progress, it might very well be unconscious guilt from unconfessed sin. Folks, when you and I hold on to regrets, to shame, to guilt, it does a number on us on the inside, just like that paperclip did on that vacuum. 
It does a number on us on the inside, and to be honest, it'll do a number on us on the outside of our world because God has not designed you and I. He hasn't designed our bodies internally or externally to carry guilt. This is what the book of Hebrews talks about in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let's read this. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The writer of Hebrews is saying here, you know what? God has a specific race for you to run. And the problem, though, is so do other people. And unfortunately, a lot of people choose to run someone else's race and the race that God has chosen for them to run. And God comes along in the book of Hebrews and says, I want you to untangle yourself from running someone else's race. And by the way, I also want you to also untangle yourself from sin that have gotten in on the inside of you that's holding you back from really running after me, after others, and after the community. Now, the reality is this. You and I can't blame other people for running our lives according to plan B and not plan A. Because guess what? We chose to do that, haven't we? And we also can't blame other people for the sin that we've allowed to come into our life. Why? Because, folks, we chose to do it. Oftentimes, though, that sin that gets on the inside, like that paperclip in that vacuum cleaner, gets inside and it gets unconfessed. And it creates unresolved, unconscious guilt. And we have all been there, have we not? We all have guilt and shame and regrets and remorse for things that we've done. And it's those things that keep us stuck. It's, it's those things that, that keep us stuck in our pain and in our problems and in our past where we just can't make progress moving towards God's plan A. And to be honest, I think if we were honest, if we, honestly, if you were with me at a McDonald's, knee to knee, face to face, I'd say, and we know it too, don't we? You know it, I know it. We feel it, we sense it, we know that it's there. But what happens is we choose to deal with it in the wrong ways. We choose to repress it or suppress it or to make excuses for it or to rationalize it. And we know what rationalization is, don't we? It's where our mind tells us one thing, but our heart tells us something else. It's where our mind's saying, hey, it's okay. And our heart's saying, no, it's not. It doesn't feel good. It's not right. It's where we're telling our body, hey, it's no big deal. And our heart is saying, yes, it is a big deal. Now, the truth is that God doesn't want you and I to carry guilt. Some Christians believe that guilt is a Christian emotion. They are wrong. Guilt is, is the most destructive emotion there is out there. God did not design you and I to carry guilt. It destroys our confidence. It destroys our relationships. Folks, it destroys our confidence. When you feel guilty about something, you think everybody knows. So guess what you do? You walk around in fear. And that robs you of confidence. On top of that, folks, it destroys relationships. And if you don't get that, 
can I just encourage you to get sick for a couple of weeks and just watch daytime soap operas like I got to do? Hello, you see guilty people and the consequences of their guilt all over that show. I got to watch General Hospital. I got to watch The Young and Restless. I got to watch Guiding Light. I got to watch As the World Turns. And you see guilty people being judgmental towards other people. Why? Because they're seeing their own sin through, through, their, through the lenses of their life into others. You see them overreacting to people's weaknesses, oftentimes their own weaknesses. You see them spoiling other people, buying things that, they don't, uh, that other people don't need because they feel guilty and so they think they can just buy their way out of it. You see a lack of commitment in relationships. You even see them in the hospital with unknown illnesses. Reports have even said if people could just get rid of guilt in their life, 50% in people of people in mental hospitals could leave today. Folks, you see all these things and more with people dealing with guilt on these daytime soap operas. Guilt undermines your confidence. It undermines your relationships where you can't live the life of succeeding the way God wants you to plan A. Take a look at this verse out of Proverbs 28, verse 13. You will never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins. Confess them and give them up. Then God will show mercy to you. Now, I cannot tell you how excited I am about this message, about this part, the fourth part of the Lord's Prayer. I call it the prayer of letting go of your flops, failures, and fumbles. If you and I can get that one phrase, forgive us our sins, just that phrase, folks, this will revolutionize your life in ways that you can't even begin to imagine. It will revolutionize you personally, your relationships, and your ministry. It will open up doors to a clear conscience. It will open up doors to a guilt-free life. You will be flooded with joy in the center of your being, and you will see God begin to use you in other people's lives like you've never seen it before. This is what I want for our church family. I will never forget the very first time that I began clearing my conscience. I was age 25 or 26, I can't remember, but I went to my first Bill Gothard Resolving Basic Youth Conflicts where I heard for the very first time the importance of clearing your conscience. Now let me put the story on pause for a second. Before this time, hey, I'd given my life to Christ, I don't know, four years, five years before then. But at that point in time in my life, I, was say, I would say that I was stuck. Yeah, everything was okay, but man, I wasn't thriving. I was stuck. I was stuck personally, I was stuck uh, relationally, and I was stuck ministry-wise. But after I went to this conference, and I heard the importance of a, having a clear conscience, things began to change. I went home from that conference, and what I did is I, I sat down and said, okay, God, I heard something that I want to do business with you about. And I said, God, right now, I want you to bring to my conscious mind those things that I felt guilty about in the past. And God, I'm going to write them down. And if God said to me, here's where you were jealous of another person, I wrote that down. 
Here's where you are impatient. I wrote that down. Here's where you lied to this person. I wrote that down. Here's where you exaggerated. I wrote that down. Uh, here's where you stole something. I, in fact, that was a really good one. I can, all of a sudden, I hadn't thought of this in, I don't know, 20 years or whatever. But I'm sitting down and I'm writing these things down and I get to this part, okay, if I stole anything. And God brought to my, George, you remember when you were five years old and you were in the Philippines and you were at the PX and you stole a piece of gum. See, they used to leave it out there. And your mother, after you had it in your mouth, asked you, what did you have in your mouth? I said, gum, where'd you get it? I found it. Amazing. If God told me that I, I needed to write down wrong thoughts that I had to be, I wrote it down. Times when you were lazy, I wrote it down. Times when I was prideful, I wrote it down. Folks, I filled page after page after page of things that I knew were wrong. And then what I began to do is I started going through and confessing them because I knew enough about the Bible at that point in time, I've been a Christian, I know, four or five years, not long, but 1 John 1, 9, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I just started confessing them. And as I confessed them, I put an X through it or I drew a line through it. And after I'd gone through all of those things, and folks, there were sheets after sheets after sheets. There were three that I did not check off. But I thought, that's Okay. There were three that God said, George, you need to make restitution. You need to go back to these three parties. You need to go back to a friend that you know you hurt. You need to go back to your in-laws where you know that you've had a critical attitude towards them and they, and they know it. And you need to go back to your parents where you've been ungrateful for a lot of things. But I said, God, I'm not gonna do that. George, aren't you gonna do that? I went to bed. I was tossing and turning. God was saying, George, you going to do it? No, I'm not. God, I'm not going to do it. They're, they're responsible. They had their part. What, why don't you talk to them? That's how I talk to God. George, I'm talking to you. Have you thought about the consequences of not doing this? No, I haven't, and I don't care. I'm not going to do it. It's humbling. Yes, I know. But George, this is about integrity. Let me stop right there. The, this is the first time. I was 25, 26 years old, and it's the first time that I really thought about integrity. I thought integrity was that you had to be perfect, but that's not what integrity is about. Integrity is being open and honest and willing to confess where you are weak, where you have sinned, where you have made mistakes to set things right. That's what integrity is about. Integrity means being honest and authentic about about your imperfections. I was talking to some teenagers just before this service. And I said, you don't want to miss this service. In fact, if you're not going to go to the student ministry, you come in here because God wants you and I to realize we're human beings, that we make mistakes, and that we just need to be real and open about it. And yet I didn't want to do that. I said, God, I'm not going to do that. And so what I began doing over the next few days to a week was I started bargaining with God. I said, God, come on, I've confessed these to you. Why do I have to go back? God, how, how about this, God? I'll read my Bible every day. I'll witness to more people about Jesus than I ever had before. And God would not let me rest until finally I said, okay, God, I want some integrity here. 
I want to get right with you. And I'll go back to you. And yet before I went back, I said, you know what? I want to bounce some of these things off of a spiritually mature friend. I'll never forget, his name was Dave Gumlier. We, we'd been buds together for almost two years at this point in time. We'd gotten together every week where we memorized whole books of the Bible, book of Philippians, book of Peter. We just were in God's word, memorizing God's word. And I, and I came to Dave and I said, Dave, I, I want to let you know what's kind of going on in my life. I want to get some things off my mind and heart. But here's the deal, Dave. I don't need you to fix me. And I don't need you to give me any advice. I just want to tell you what I've done, how I feel about it, and what I'm going to change. And he listened to me and he reflected back to me the grace of God. And then after that, I went to my friend, to my in-laws, and to my parents. And you wanna know what happened? My life changed dramatically. God personally began speaking to me in ways that I had never heard him speak to me before, giving me insights into scriptures that I had never, ever seen before. In my relationship, especially in my relationship with Cheryl, those who were immediate, God started taking us deeper. Folks, I wouldn't be where I am at today, 42 years into this marriage, if it wasn't for clearing my conscience. And then God began to say, reveal to me, George, this is the kind of ministry I want for you. Quit trying to be like Billy Graham, because Billy Graham, you know, 20, 40 years ago, that's, that's the way it was, okay? He was the big dog. George, I want you to be you. This is what you get. It was almost as if God was looking down on my life and saying, that's my boy. Folks, that's what I want for you. I want that for you personally, relationally, and ministry-wide. But you have to do business with God first. You got to pray the prayer that I call the prayer of letting go of your flops, your failures, and your fumbles. You got to come to God and say, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my debts. Forgive me of my trespasses. And you need to mean it. And, and you mean it by being specific. And so I'm going to get specific with us on how to apply those few words, forgive us our debts. How do you do that? Number one, you review every area of your life. You do a personal spiritual assessment. You sit down with God in a quiet place and you say to God, God, I'm going to do business with you. And I'm going to write down everything that you bring to my mind. And I'm going to ask you to bring those things to my mind that are conscious. Yeah, they're right there. And those that are unconscious. Why? Lamentations 340 says this. Let us test and examine our ways. David, King David, in Psalms 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. What David is praying there is, God, put your spotlight on the internal things that are going on in my mind and heart. Those things, those paper clicks, those toys that have been sucked up in my life that are hindering me from making progress. And you take time in doing this. You don't rush it. And you write it down. Pastor George, why can't I just think about them? 
Because when you write it down, it gets clearer and it becomes more specific. And to be honest with you, it's cathartic. It it brings healing and health as you do. The Bible says that if you and I would just judge ourselves rightly, then God would not judge us. Now, I've included in your bulletin, would you just pull this out? It's It's an orange sheet. It just says, heart cleaning for personal renewal. These are the big areas of your life, your mind, your attitudes, your priorities, your integrity, your body, your money and possessions, your family, your relationships to others, your walk of faith, your church family and ministry, your mission in the world. What I wanna encourage you to do, because I want you to experience a full life, a successful life, is to go through these different areas. And there are questions. And if it relates, put a mark by it, circle it, put an X by that. Go through them all. And then when you get done, ask God this question. God, is there anything else? And just be quiet. And if he reveals something else to you, write it down. Now remember, this is between you and God which raises this question in my mind. How serious are you in really making progress in loving God? Enough to be gut level honest with him and honest with yourself? Or are you just gonna fake it? Don't procrastinate. The second thing is this. I repent of every sin. I review every area and I repent of every sin. Now, what is repentance? Well, basically it's three things. Repentance means I take responsibility for my sin. It means that I turn from those things. And number three, I turn towards God and his grace. That's what it means to repent. Take a look at Lamentations chapter three, verse 40. Let us turn again in repentance to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven and say, we have sinned and rebelled. You see, what, that last phrase, will you underline, we have sinned and rebelled. What does it mean to repent? Folks, it means that I don't rationalize it. I don't rationalize, well, it's no big deal. Hey, it is a big deal. You remember it. You don't minimize it. Well, it happened so long ago. Who cares? God brought it to the forefront of your mind. You don't make excuses for it. Well, it was partially their fault also. No, you come to God and you own even 1% of it. Now, listen very closely to me. The greatest holdup of, of, of your connection with God is you. The Bible says that if we claim to be without sin, we are deceiving ourselves, that we are living in a fantasy world, that we are living in a pretend world, that we are deceiving ourselves. That's why I say the greatest holdup of your connection to God, going deeper with God, is you. In fact, will you write this down? You will stop defeating yourself when you stop deceiving yourself. You will stop defeating yourself 
towards the success that you want personally, relationally, and, and, and community-wise. You will stop defeating yourself when you stop deceiving yourself. And folks, that starts on a gut level. A gut level with God and a gut level with yourself. So I, my question is, what are you pretending not to know? What are you pretending not to feel guilty about? Don't you think it's time to put the spotlight on the internal and bring it to the external so that you can begin to experience all that God has for you? I review every area. I repent of every sin. Thirdly, I resolve to make restitution. As you go through the list and you find someone that you know you've hurt and they know that you have hurt them, you go and make restitution if it's possible. Now, it's not always possible, to be honest with you. They may have died, okay? Or they may have moved on and you don't know where in the world they're at. Or, or they may be in a different situation, like maybe they're married and it just wouldn't be good to enter into that situation. But if it is possible and you, they know that you've hurt them and you know that they know that you've hurt them, okay, you go and make restitution. This is what we see out of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a Roman soldier who was a tax collector, not a Roman soldier, he was a Roman tax collector and he ripped people off financially. And this is what happened, what he said he would do after Jesus entered into his life. Look at this, he says, if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to your house. And so I resolve to make restitution when it's possible. The fourth thing is this, I receive God's forgiveness. Folks, this is where we begin to really see that we've got a good father. These things are built on one another. We gotta see that we've got a good father. We gotta see that he is in control. We gotta see that he has all the resources and is capable of doing anything like forgiving us so that we can experience the good life. The Bible says that you and I shouldn't be hesitant, that you and I shouldn't be shy in coming to him and asking for forgiveness. Take a look at Hebrews 4, verse 16. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find punishment, scolding, and rejection from God. Is that what that says? No, it doesn't say that, does it? Isn't that interesting? That comes out of the reviled substandard version right from the pit of hell, okay? It doesn't say that. It says, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it. We'll use circle two words, mercy and grace. What is mercy and what is grace? Mercy is forgiveness for all the things you've done in your past. And grace is the power to change your future. God says, you can come honestly to me and you can tell me of all your sins. You can come to God, gut level honest, and say, God, I sucked this up. I sucked up that, 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 that paper clip. I sucked up this dirt. And God, it makes me sick as I think about it right now. 
I'm ashamed of it. I'm embarrassed about it. And God says this, you will receive mercy for your past and you will receive grace for your future. Now, for some of us, this is hard to comprehend. It really is. That is why on March 12th at the 915 service, you need to go to the forgiveness class that we're going to teach. And we're going to teach it out of a book, Charles Stanley's book, The Gift of Forgiveness, because some of us really struggle. We don't understand the grace and the forgiveness, the mercy of God. Go to it. I, I wish I had four hours to drill down on that one, this one part of this phrase, but I don't. How do you get forgiveness? Let me just say it this way. You don't get it by begging for it. Please, 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 God, oh, please, oh, please, God, please forgive me. You don't get it by bargaining for it. God, I promise I'll never do it again. <laughs> That's a joke. You don't get it through bribing God. God, today, if you forgive me, I'll put 20% in the plate instead of 10%. You don't get it through begging or bargaining or bribing God. You get it through believing. Believing what? Believing 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Folks, our forgiveness doesn't come about through what we've done or who we are. It comes about through who God is. God is a gracious God. God is a merciful God. He cares. He's consistent. He is capable. He is close. And he says it happens as you put your faith in who he is and what he has done for you through his son, Jesus Christ. And so how do you get it? You confess. You see, confession in the Greek comes from the Greek word homologeo. It means the same word. It means to speak the same. It means that you and God are on the same page. It means that God, it means that you come to God and you say, God, I want you to know something. We're on the same page. You were right, and I was wrong. Confession isn't coming to God and saying, oh God, I, I promise I'll never do it again. No, confession is just saying, God, we're on the same page. You were right and I was wrong. Folks, when you and I come to God and we confess that, it says in his word that, that we are justified. That word justified means that we are acquitted, that we are declared or declared righteous. Take a look at Romans chapter five and verse one. Since we are justified, that is acquitted and declared righteous through faith, let us grasp the fact that we now have peace and reconciliation with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It says that we are justified, meaning it's just as if I'd never sinned. And God says that comes about through faith, not through earning it, but through faith in him. But Pastor George, you don't understand you don't understand what I've done. Surely God can't forgive that. Oh, yes, he can. 
Are you, but Pastor George, I, I've had an affair. So what? Pastor George, I've had an abortion. Yeah, so what? Pastor George, I have same-sex attraction. Yeah, okay. Pastor George, I stole money from the company. Okay, so? Are you telling me, Pastor George, that God can forgive all those things? Yes, I am. Take a look at this verse. God gave me this verse when I was struggling with this. Early in my Christian life, I will never forget, I was at the YMCA uh, camp in the Rockies. And God gave me this verse as I was struggling about understanding God's forgiveness. You need to take this class. Isaiah 1, verse 18. Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. You see, when you and I come to God, God says, you're justified. You've been declared not guilty. You're just as if you haven't sinned. And that doesn't mean that you're perfect, folks. It just means that you're forgiven. And yet when you have a forgiven heart, a heart that you've confessed, all your sins, the conscious, unconscious that you can think of, you know what that does? It takes an enormous amount of pressure off your life. Folks, I am a leader of a large church. And there are tremendous pressures that I carry. And there are a lot of criticisms that I take. And the reason that I can take all the criticism and all the pressures that come on me isn't because I'm perfect. No. It's because I keep a clean heart. Because I try to be transparent and to be open like Helicopter. It takes a tremendous load off of you when you don't have to wear the mask that you got it all together. God calls us to be human, to accept our humanity, even with one another. And we can do that because God has said, I'll wipe it all away. Now we come to the fifth step, and this is the most challenging one. It is this. I reveal my faults to a friend, and I want you to circle A, a friend. Not 15, not five, a friend. You may be sitting here and you may be thinking, but Pastor George, can't I just confess him to God and be forgiven? Yes, you can and are, but here's The question that I would ask you, do you just want forgiveness or do you also want emotional healing? If all you want is forgiveness and you still want to carry the shame, the guilt, the regret that's upsetting your mind because of the the paperclip that you've sucked in, okay, that's hindering you from making progress and you know it and you feel it, then guess what? That's all you have to do. Some of you have done that. In fact, you've asked God to forgive you Again and again and again and again and again. Why do you keep asking God to forgive you again and again and again and again? Because you have never come clean with one other person. You see, God has wired you and I 
in such a way that we need each other for emotional healing. But Pastor George, it would be so humble to do that. Yes, it would be. But folks, something happens inside of you. I can't always explain it, but something happens inside of you when you do. Take a look at what James says in James 5, 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So let me ask you again, do you really just want forgiveness or do you want emotional healing? And you may sit there and say, but why, Pastor, why do I have to bring another person in to this mess? Because God knows that the root of your problem is relational. You may not understand that, but it is. When you don't have one person that you can open up to, what happens is that you wear a mask, you pretend, you walk around in a fantasy world, and you know what that does? That isolates you and I from one another. It keeps us from going into the deepest love, plan A love that God has for us. Well, why is that? Because you can't love fully when you have guilt in your heart. It doesn't work. It's like oil and water. And so what happens is we walk around in our shame and with our regrets thinking if other people really found out what I am really like on the inside, guess what? They wouldn't like me. And it keeps us stuck. Will you write this down? I'm only as sick as my secrets. I'm only as sick as my secrets. And revealing your feeling is the beginning of healing. Who do you reveal it to? One spiritually mature person. And what do you say? You say the same thing that I did to my friend Dave. Dave, I just want to get some things off my mind or, and off my heart and chest, so to speak. I don't need you to fix me. I don't need you to give me any advice. I just want to tell you what I've done, how I feel about it, and what I'm planning on doing and changing. And you let them, and you share it, and you let them pray for you. Now, let me just say something. The secret that you most want to conceal in your life is the secret that you most need to reveal. When do you do this? As soon as possible. Because you spell relief, C-O-N-F-E-S-S. There's a sixth one. The final step is this. You repeat it regularly. Folks, I am 63 years old. I know I dress like a 20-year-old. It's because I feel that way. I'm 63 years old. I'm a grandpa of three. I've been in ministry 40 years, and I've probably spoken to thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people at conferences and in church. And in these 63 years of kicking that can down the road called life, I've learned three things that I want to pass on to you. You might want to write these down. The first one is just simply this. Never procrastinate in changing a messy diaper. The more you procrastinate, the messier it gets. 
It will go in cracks and crevices that you never even imagined that there could be something as vile and as dirty as that. If you procrastinate it where it should be at, you will find that it can go up the back into the hair. It is not a pretty sight. Whatever you do, don't procrastinate in changing a diaper. Secondly, take a shower frequently. You will smell better. And people will like you more. People will be attracted to you. They'll want to be around you. Third, take the trash out every day. If you wait to take the trash out once a year, guess what? Your house is going to stink. Your primary relationships, those that you are married to, those that are in your family, in your extended family, guess what? They will start stinking too. What I have shared with you, I have sought to practice for the last 40 plus years of being a Christian. I come to God on a regular basis with God and with those in my relational world. And I don't care whether it's my family or whether it's those in the church. And I come and I say, God, I want a clean heart with you. And God, I want to have a clean heart with other people. Folks, this is what I want for our church family. I want God to bless your socks off of you personally, where God is speaking to you like he's never spoken before where relationally, in your marriage, with your family, in our small groups, in our church, we are going deep with one another because God's got a great future. We haven't even gotten to hope yet. And where we begin to really make an impact on our community. You see, God wants to use you. And God can use anybody. He will use tall people. He will use short people. He will use plain people. He will use fancy people. He will use shy people. He will use people who like to talk a lot. He will use weird people to dress up in Hawaiian shirts and wear vans on Sunday mornings. God can use anybody, but there is one person that God will not use, and that is a dirty vessel. God wants you and I to come clean. He wants us to go deep personally, and he wants us to go wide with others. And guess what? He wants us to do it together as a family. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22 and 25 as we close. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That's ministry. And let us not give up meeting together. That's like worship now, as some are doing, but let us encourage one another. Will you circle these phrases? Let us hold. Let us consider. Let us not give up and let us encourage. But the one, the last one, is the first one and it's the most important. Will you circle? Let us draw near to God. Let us do that together as a spiritual family. 
as I like to say, let us go through the lettuce patch together. And let's see if God is not a good, good father. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I really thank you that you are a great and awesome God. That you are gracious and that you are merciful. I thank you, God, that when we come to you, whatever we say doesn't shock you. You know our words from afar. You know our thoughts before we even speak them. You know everything about us and you know everything that we're going to do tomorrow and everything that's going to happen today. That when we come to you and we come clean, it just is communicating we want to draw near to you. And we want you to do a deep work. God, do a deep work in us. Do a deep work in our hearts, God, where we know and understand who you are and the love that you have for us and how as we communicate to you, you want to communicate back to us in ways that we have never heard before and how you want our relationships to be deeper, especially with those who are the closest to us. There's so much hurt, so much bitterness and resentment, God, that just causes us to live plan B instead of plan A. And God, we want to be those who are used of you. God, use our church. Our world needs it. Our world needs the church, God. May we be the church. And so God, do a work. We look to you to do these things. In your son's precious name, we pray. Amen.